0: Hey everyone, and welcome to episode six of My Favorite Friendship. I'm Brian Wool, and I'm Mark Mizenski. and we are best friends. And in this show, we look through friendships throughout history to uh, explore all of the aspects of friendship, how we can be better friends, and uh, you know who had the most interesting friendships. Now we only podcast with our friends. And we also only podcast for our friends. So you guys are our new friends. Welcome, friends. Awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm I'm excited too. What's going on in your world, Mark?
1: We do a lot of game nights, I think. <laughs> Not I think, I know, because I'm on them. Uh but we've been doing a lot of uh, you know, you zoom with some people from wherever in the world, and then you played jackbox games or something else like that uh, just a way as sort of an excuse to put you all on the line together basically mm. have you done any of those i've, I've done a few uh, um mostly i've done i've done
0: uh wine nights or a little like uh like zoom double dates almost oh that's fine. like uh, I, well we gotta do one i did yeah i'm all i'm Why don't I get invited to zoom double yeah, dates? i'm always down
1: you're you're the busy one guy. Now when you say wine night, are you just you just get on a zoom, you guys drink and hang out, like Yeah. There's no planned activity.
0: Except for drinking wine.
1: Well that that's a great activity. I totally support that.
0: Yeah, we just we just drink or have cocktails and sit and talk.
1: I was talking about this with the game nights. I think the game nights are supposed to be you're drinking, you're chatting, you're playing some games, but I've I've noticed that Depending on what game you're playing, some of the games are like either very loud or very uh, attention-consuming, and so sometimes it's tricky to get in conversation and stuff around the games. And also, some games just work better than others over Zoom, uh, so that that's always a challenge. But I do love playing games, so I'm never sad if it's just uh, playing a few games and then you hang up and you realize, oh. I guess I still need to talk to that person more to see what they've been up to. It just gives you another excuse to hang out.
0: See, I think you just don't like them very much. Because I've found that every time I've had plans with people that I game with, I end up just talking to them more because we end up liking each other. It's the people that I don't like very much that I end up playing the games. Alright, well
1: I hope none of my game friends are listening.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying, man, like, if you really wanted to talk to them, you would've...
1: <laughs> Well, I think that's a a good segue to a friendship that I wanted to share with you. Oh, yeah? Because it's about two people who most of their interactions were uh, started, I should say, as them. They weren't just hanging out and chatting. They were doing stuff together. And then that blossomed into one of the most epic friendships I've ever read about. It was interesting. It was very complex. But ultimately it produced some of the most wonderful and world-changing pieces of literature, uh, at least that I have ever read. And this is the friendship between J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Oh, wow! So, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of the Lord of the Rings books, The Hobbit, a whole bunch of other stories called The Silmarillion that are also in that same universe— And C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia books and also kind of became a very influential Christian writer with books like The Screwtape Letters, they are both literary heavyweights in their own right. But what I didn't realize before I looked into this was that they both essentially influenced and supported each other in creating all of the seminal works that we know them for today. Wow. Wow. So, these two, they're both bookworm type people, and they met at a faculty gathering at Oxford University where they were both faculty members. Tolkien was in the history and linguistics department. C.S. Lewis was also a literature professor, I believe. And when they first met, it wasn't even like a love at first sight situation. Uh, in fact, I have here from C.S. Lewis's diary. This is how he described Tolkien upon first meeting him. He said he's a smooth, pale, fluent little chap. And he said that there was no harm in him, but he needs a smack or so. He needed a smack or so? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what he means by that. Other than that he wished someone would hit Tolkien for some reason. All right.
0: (laughs) Just wanted to make sure that I heard that properly. He needed a smack or so. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe maybe Tolkien did need a smack or so. You know, being a professor in linguistics and also inventing his own language, I'm sure that got him really high on his own dick.
1: I mean, look, he was also a smooth, pale, fluent chap. So, I don't know, Uh, the smacking really distracted me from the other weird things in this description.
0: Well, of course he would be fluent. He is a professor of linguistics. I'm sure he'd be fluent in
1: multiple languages. What was interesting is they, they got off, you know, they met each other. They were cordial, it seems, but they didn't really bond right away. And part of it is because they were both involved in kind of two different factions of the Oxford faculty. Uh, Lewis was part of the literary faculty and or the literature faculty, and Tolkien was on the linguistic side, and they both obviously are two very different approaches to language, and apparently that division was felt in the sort of socialization of the faculty as well. And then beyond that, C.S. Lewis was much more sort of gregarious and outspoken, and J.R. Tolkien was was much quieter and, and more personal about his business
0: i wouldn't assume that a that a quiet person would need a smack
1: <laughs> maybe that's what he meant he needs to like be smacked to like open up a little bit okay yeah because that now i have a different picture of it i mean or he was like correcting his grammar or something, in which case I get why you'd want to smack somebody. All right, yeah, maybe. But they eventually bonded because as they got to know each other better, they realized they had a ton of things in common. They both pretty much avoided contemporary culture. Neither of them had a car, nor would either of them drive a car. Both didn't pay much attention to politics or the news. Both had served in the trenches of World War I. Uh, And in fact, fun tidbit, Apparently the first Tolkien Middle-earth thing that he ever wrote, he was sort of dreaming it up while he was at the Battle of the Somme. So they were like really in the grinding trench warfare horrific parts of World War I, and I fully assume that that shaped their later personalities and writing. And both of them lost uh, parents when they were very, very young. But more than anything, they bonded because they both loved myths and classic stories and literature. And they would eventually push each other to write those two incredibly famous fantasy book series, some of the most famous of all time. And in fact, Tolkien wrote of Lewis that the unpayable debt that I owe to him was not necessarily just for his influence, but for his encouragement. He was for a long time my only audience. Wow. Uh, And it turns out, actually, fun other facts, apparently Tolkien may have uh, modeled the walking, talking, ent character Treebeard from his Lord of the Rings books after Lewis's sort of bombastic mode of speaking. And Lewis might have based the character of Dr. Ransom from one of his first science fiction novels, Out of the Silent Planet, on Tolkien. So they also make actual appearances in each other's works. Oh, cool. But what I thought was cool and relevant to us is that part of what really cemented these guys' friendships is they made a group. And it was intended as a writer's group, writer's workshop that they called the Inklings. And they would meet at the Eagle and Child Pub at Oxford University. And there was, it was a group of, I think, I probably fluctuated in number, but it was, let's say, six to eight members at any given time. And they would meet at least once a week and they would each share a passage from their work And then they would critique each other's work. And then also, I'm sure, they would drink and talk about life and do all that other stuff. But the main intention was that they were there to promote each other's work. And what I thought was so interesting is that Lewis and Tolkien both loved fantasy and science fiction. But they felt like, I mean, fantasy and science fiction at the time weren't even genre names. I think... Tolkien called the Middle Earth stuff time travel, and he called C.S. Lewis's science fiction stuff space travel as the genre name. Okay. But they both loved all these old myths, but they thought that all the modern stories that existed in these genres of time travel and space travel weren't really doing it for them. And so Lewis said to Tolkien, if they won't write the kinds of books we want to read, then we shall have to write them ourselves. And so that was sort of their mission for this group, the Inklings. Oh my gosh, I love it. That is so cool. And it's, it's funny to think that this was going on for, I think they met regularly for over a decade. And then in between meetings, Tolkien would go to Lewis's apartment and like read him bits of The Hobbit. He said he actually read C.S. Lewis every line of every draft of The Hobbit at some point. And it really resonated with me because I feel like we've been part of improv groups, comedy groups, things like that, where, yeah, maybe the point of the group is to create sketches or create improv shows. But also the friendships and the bonds that you make in those groups are half the fun and last often a lot longer than any of the creative material that comes out of them.
0: Definitely. Now, C.S. Lewis, the Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe, that stuff is pretty religious, right? He's very Christian. Well, so
1: here's what's interesting. Oh, and, one, and before I forget, their friend group actually inspired one of C.S. Lewis, the chapter on friendship in C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. Really? But what I thought was that one of the most interesting things I read in here is that C.S. Lewis, you know, was, was a sort of bombastic Christian writer. But when he first met J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, C.S. Lewis was not religious, possibly even agnostic. And it was during a long walk with Tolkien and I think one of the other writers in their group. They were walking around campus and they just got into a religious discussion and it lasted until three in the morning. Definitely not what any of them intended. But the end result was that they convinced C.S. Lewis that the Christian myth was true. And that is what sent him down his path of Christian writing in a lot of ways. Wow. Not only were they there for each other in a sort of creative and literary sense, they were there to support each other spiritually, and I'm sure in all other aspects of life as well. Like, that's real friendship when you trust someone enough that they can change your religious beliefs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That... I mean, yeah. I I feel like... You know what, Mark? I feel like people's religious beliefs get changed by the oddest things. I don't think it's necessarily a deep friendship that will change someone's religion. It could be just them questioning and then, you know, they see some sort of symbol in their life. It, it could be anything. But to be willing to listen to somebody, you're I, I do see to be willing to listen to somebody about religion when you don't agree with them.
1: Yes, that is like the world could could come influence you and give you signs or whatever you might be looking for. But I feel like as soon as someone tries to tell me about their ideology, whatever it is, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he heard him out. But what is tricky about it is Tolkien was a Catholic. And C.S. Lewis decided, once he had really processed all of this religious stuff, he decided that he was going to become an Anglican. And that really bugged Tolkien. And then it bugged him even more when C.S. Lewis became very well known for his Christian writings and he would do broadcasts on the radio and got somewhat famous for the stuff he was writing and doing about Christianity. And even though, you know, he wasn't before and Tolkien had kind of convinced him. And so Tolkien felt a little miffed by that. And also, like every real friendship, they didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things including, weirdly, literary taste. So even though they both liked the general buckets of things, Tolkien at some point admitted that Narnia was, quote, outside the range of my sympathies, as my work was outside of his. Wow. So they were helping each other, and they didn't even necessarily like each other. Tolkien called Lewis's writing creaking and stiff-jointed, and then he also thought it was a little unoriginal and he sort of, under the table, accused Lewis of stealing some of the ideas that are built into Narnia from him by describing him as, quote, a very impressionable man. Wow. There's some salt in this one. And after Lewis's death, Tolkien wrote, you know, he never really liked Hobbits very much. And and Lewis Lewis uh This was all Tolkien stuff. Lewis also described Tolkien as, quote, a niggler and perfectionist. I had not encountered the term niggler in a long time, so that was interesting to read. Apparently, after looking it up, it means someone who challenges and questions things a lot. Wow. Okay. And apparently also, Tolkien was so susceptible to self-criticism that as soon as anyone even merely suggested that his work might be done and that it could be published, he would send him into a spiral of revisions. And in the end, instead of coming out with like the last polished draft, he'd have a first draft of an entirely new thing. And that kind of makes sense because it took Tolkien 17 years to finish Lord of the Rings. And C.S. Lewis cranked out all seven Narnia books in seven years. Wow. Which was another fact that I think really uh, nagged at Tolkien. Tolkien described Narnia as Christian apologist works.
0: Oh man. Wow. That is harsh, but kinda true. <laughs>
1: And what I think is so interesting is throughout this whole time where they might be disagreeing creatively, they were still helping each other. He was still reading Tolkien. You know, Tolkien was still reading every line of The Hobbit and C.S. Lewis was still bringing passages of his various novels and they were critiquing each other and drinking and hanging out and helping each other figure out stuff around Oxford and spiritual awakening and all that. And even though Lewis may have never liked Hobbits he was still there to write a blurb for the Lord of the Rings. In fact, they actually wrote the blurb together, uh, which I'm sure is not ethical in any way, where where C.S. Lewis said that this book is like lightning from a clear sky, the conquest of new territory. And he said that the book would inaugurate a new age. And then Tolkien, even though he didn't really like Narnia, recommended the publisher or a publisher to Lewis for many of his books. But what I thought was so interesting about it is that you're reading all these accounts and you're wondering, what did these guys actually feel about each other? Because clearly they were very involved in each other's lives for many, many years. But then they also had all these complaints. And then it kind of made me think, isn't that how every friend group works a little bit? You know? You're know, you such a part of each other's lives. And then if you're writing privately to someone else, it's like, Ugh, oh my God, can you believe what Mark did today? I asked him to bring over wine, and he brought over whiskey. What an idiot. And I think because we're getting this, this weird perception of it, this sort of historical record, instead of talking to the actual people, what you lose is the fact that these were like real human beings who had a lot of overlapping involvement in each other's lives.
0: It's so cool that they could have overlapping involvement in each other's lives because they both created entire worlds where characters could live in vast worlds and i don't know when you say that that the took so long to write lord of the rings man it shows i think it's quite a lot better than uh lewis's works not that lewis is bad but i mean man (laughs) it's uh oh definitely and it certainly counted for something for
1: sure and i think at the time tolkien who was you know tinkering and tinkering for years and years after narnia had come out And Lewis was already popular for his Christian writings. And then his Narnia books were, you know, were well-received. And Tolkien had already published The Hobbit, but everyone was kind of like, thought it was a little embarrassing that someone wrote a fantasy book. Like, he's barely acknowledged, even to this day, I think, by the Oxford establishment. They're like, oh, he wrote a really good translation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. (laughs) And they kind of were like, oh, the, The Hobbit. Yeah, I guess that came out too. And so I think Tolkien was like a little bit jealous and figured, well, I guess Lewis is popular and my stuff will just be whatever. And then Lord of the Rings came out and just by sheer number of book sales has exploded past where Narnia was.
0: Yeah, and the movies are way better too. (laughs) Definitely.
1: But I think what's interesting is that despite all of the things between them, we wouldn't have either of those things if they didn't have each other. So that's why I wanted to share that friendship today, because it's about two people creatively collaborating and making something, making some things that they couldn't have done on their own.
0: What a spectacular friendship you shared. Man, I uh, th- this kind of opens uh, me up a little bit. I, I want to look into some more friendships that may have been uh, a little bit more contentious. You've already shared two friendships that were a little contentious. You had the Groucho
1: Marx and T. S. Eliot. And now we have this one. That is very true. I, I, maybe that's a thing. I I like real friendships. You know, real friendships are messy. Oh, I mean that is true. Poor I shit.
0: I've had real friendships and they're fine.
1: <laughs> but I will say, despite all of that, when C. S. Lewis passed away, Tolkien wrote to his daughter that the loss of Lewis, even though they hadn't talked much in the you know several years before his death feels like an axe blow near the roots. Wow. You know, they were so a part of each other's lives that it didn't matter the little you know, the squabbles they may have had, their emotional investment in each other was such that it it was it still meant a lot to him.
0: That's that's cool. That's good to know.
1: Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to have friction sometimes, as long as you as long as you have other stuff to balance it out, I guess. I mean I've I've had fights with friends. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really have any friends that I'm that I have like serious disagreements with. You know, if anything, I'd say the biggest disagreements were like maybe with you and Keith about artistic things every once in a while. But that would be about it.
1: And that maybe is the root of some of their disagreements, too. You know, it seems like they were both very uh, they were both trying very hard to make something very amazing. And I think when that happens, you realize the the sort of peculiarities and particularities of any given person's personality and inevitably you're gonna bump up against some things but i mean i remember as a kid like i had a friend who flipped a game board one time wow we still hang out that was i don't know why that was like the the cardinal sin you know
0: that's awesome
1: (laughs) i think i i think i'm okay with it later because i was winning so i'm like well i get why he did that
0: (laughs) Well, thank you very much for this great friendship this week, Mark. Everyone at home, please uh, continue to follow us on our social media accounts. Uh, Send us any questions you have, uh, any uh, requests for future friendships you'd like us to cover. Anything else, Mark, that you can think of?
1: I think they should have an amazing week.
0: All right, friends. Well, we'll we'll talk to you next week. This has been my favorite friendship. (laughs) Let me say that again. Wow. This has been my favorite friendship. Bye. Bye.